everyone. Welcome to the Seek Joy Sister podcast where I talk about all things scripture and Jesus. So not only will today's episode be finishing up the book of Revelation, so we will actually be covering four chapters today, which is chapters 19 through 22, and that will completely finish the entire New Testament. But this will also be my last episode of the season. Once I kind of figure out where God wants me to go with my podcast, I will announce the new date for my new season and what that will entail. So make sure that you are following me on my Instagram page, Seek Joy Sister, because that is where I hang out at the most and I post daily updates. All right, Joy friends, go ahead, grab your cup of coffee or whatever you enjoy drinking. Let's pretend like we're sitting right across from each other and let's grow our faith together. joy friends go ahead and buckle up because this is a interesting podcast episode we are talking about the very end of times we're talking about where there is no more sin no more tears or sorrow the curse is removed um paradise is regained and death is defeated and believers live forever and ever with God. It is intense and it is such an eye-opener to what is to come. So let's start with Revelation 19 and we are going to read verses 19, 11 through... 21. It's a lot, but I don't feel like I can kind of break verses apart in this just because it will leave out some very important information. So let's read. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, 
free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. All right, let's talk about the commentaries. John's vision shifts again. Heaven opens and Jesus appears, this time not as a lamb, but as a warrior on a white horse, which symbolizes victory. Jesus came first as a lamb to be a sacrifice for sin, but he will return as a conqueror and king to execute judgment. Jesus' first coming brought forgiveness. His second will bring judgment. The battle lines have been drawn between God and evil, and the world is waiting for the king to ride onto the field. So talking about 1912, although Jesus is called faithful and true, word of God, and the king of kings and lord of lords, this verse implies that no name can do him justice. He is greater than any description or expression the human mind can devise. This title indicates our God's serenity. Most of the world is worshiping the beast, the Antichrist, whom they believe has all power and authority. Then suddenly out of heaven rides Christ and his army of angels. So the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, his entrance signals the end of the false powers. The battle lines have been drawn. And the greatest confrontation in the history of the world is about to begin. The beast, so the Antichrist, and the false prophet have gathered the government and armies of the earth under the Antichrist's rule. The enemy armies believe they have come of their own volition and reality. God has summoned them to battle in order to defeat them. That they would even presume to fight against God shows how their pride and rebellion had perverted their, their thinking. There really is no fight. However, because the victory was won when Jesus died on the cross for sin and rose from the dead, thus the evil leaders are immediately captured and sent to their punishment and the forces of evil are annihilated. The fiery lake of burning sulfur is the final destination of the wicked. This lake is different from the abyss, so bottomless pit, referred to in verse 9-1. The Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the fiery lake. Then their leader, Satan himself, will be thrown into that lake. So we will read about that in just a few minutes. And finally, death and hate. Afterward, everyone whose name is not recorded in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of life. 
All right, now we are going to read Revelation 20, the entire thing. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Now talking about Satan's doom. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Okay, let's talk about the commentaries for 21 through 10. And then we will continue reading. So the thousand years are often referred to as the millennium. So Latin for a thousand. Just how and when this 1,000 years takes place is understood differently among Christian scholars. The three major positions on this issue are called post-millennialism, pre-millennialism, and amillennialism. So for one, post-millennialism looks for a literal 1,000-year period of peace on earth ushered in by the church. At the end of that 1,000 years, Satan will be unleashed once more. But then Christ will return to defeat him and reign forever. Christ's second coming will not occur until after the 1,000-year period. So that was post-millennialism. Pre-millennialism also views the thousand years as a literal time period, but holds that Christ's second coming initiates his 1,000-year reign and that this reign occurs before the final removal of Satan. And then a millennialism 
understands the 1,000-year period to be symbolic of the time between Christ's ascension and his return. This millennium, millennium, oh my, thus it is another way of referring to the church's age. This period will end with the second coming of Christ. These different views about the millennium need not cause division and controversy in the church because each view acknowledges what is most crucial to Christianity, and that is Christ will return, defeat Satan, and reign forever. Whatever and whenever the millennium is, Jesus Christ will unite all believers Therefore, we should not let this issue divide us. It just means we need to dig a little further and do our own studying. But don't let that take you away from the big picture. And that is that Christ will reign forever. He is the one that will give us victory. So for 23 commentary, John doesn't say why God once again sets Satan free, but it is part of God's plan for judging the world. Perhaps it is to expose those who rebel against God in their hearts and confirm those who are truly faithful to God. Whatever the reason, Satan's release results in the final destruction of all evil. And then the commentary regarding 25 and 6. Christians hold two basic views concerning this final resurrection. One, some believe that the first resurrection is spiritual, so in our hearts at salvation, and that the millennium is our spiritual reign when Christ between his first and second comings. During this time, we are priests of God because Christ reigns in our hearts. In this view, the second resurrection is a bodily resurrection of all people for judgment. Two, others believe that the first resurrection occurs after Satan has been set aside. It is a physical resurrection of people who then reign with Christ on the earth for a literal 1,000 years. The second resurrection occurs at the end of the millennium in order to judge unbelievers who have died. Coming to over 26, the second death, the spiritual death, everlasting separation from God. Gog and Magog symbolize all the forces of evil that band together to battle God. Noah's son, Japheth, had a son named Magog. Ezekiel presents Gog as a leader of forces against Israel. More of this you can read Ezekiel 38 and 39. So then the commentary for 29. This is not a typical battle where the outcome is in doubt during the heat of conflict. Here there is no contest. Two mighty forces of evil, those of the beast and of Satan, unite to do battle against God. The Bible uses just two verses to describe each battle. The evil beast and his forces are captured and thrown into the fiery lake. And the fire from heaven devours Satan and his attacking armies. For God, it is as easy as that. There will be no doubt, no worry, no second thoughts for believers about whether they have chosen the right side. If you are with God, you will experience this tremendous victory with God. 
Satan's power is not eternal. He will meet his doom. He began all his evil work in mankind at the beginning and continues it today. But he will be destroyed when he is thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. The devil will be released from the abyss, so his prison, the bottomless pit, but he will never be released from the fiery lake. He will never be a real threat to anyone again. All right now, let's finish reading Revelations 20, 11 through 15, talking about the dead are judged. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So now let's talk about the commentaries um, regarding these verses. At the judgment, the books are open. They represent God's judgment, and in them are recorded the deeds of everyone, good or evil. We are not saved by deeds, but deeds are seen as clear evidence of a person's actual relationship with God. The book of life contains the names of those who have put their trust in Christ to save them. Death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. God's judgment is finished. The lake of fire is the ultimate destination of everything wicked. Satan, the beast, the false prophet, the demons, death, Hades, and all those whose names are not recorded in the book of life because they did not place their faith in Jesus Christ. John's vision does not permit any gray areas in God's judgment. If by faith we have not identified with Christ, confessing him as Lord, there will be no hope, no second chance, no other appeal. Now let's read Revelations 21, 1-8. So making everything new again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. 
They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Whew. Ha, huh, y'all, that, <laughs> that made me teary up, like just reading that and thinking about that and like where it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain like just to think about all the things that we endure here on earth all the pain all the sorrow all the evil it will one day all be wiped away we will no longer be carrying that pain or suffering and God will make everything new again. It's like every single bad thing we have ever endured will be worth it in the end because we will be with our creator. And then it hurts my heart to think of anyone that does not walk with him you know, that does not have a heart for believing in Jesus Christ because they will continue to endure pain and suffering. All of, all of the bad that they have faced will not be wiped away. And that, oh, that gives me chills to even think about that. Because at least, you know, when I face these hardships in my life, like I have hope. I have hope because I know whose daughter I am. I have hope because I know who is walking with me. I have hope because I know who I will face one day. And that is everything that changes the way that I live my day-to-day life. Okay, let's talk about the commentaries. Um, so starting with 21.1, where it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The earth as we know it will not last forever, but after God's great judgment, he will create a new earth. The new Jerusalem is where God lives among his people. Instead of our going up to meet him, he comes down to be with us, just as God became man and Jesus Christ and lived among us. Wherever God reigns, there is peace, security, and love. 
Have you ever wondered what eternity will be like? The holy city, the new Jerusalem, is described as the place where God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Forevermore, there will be no death, pain, sorrow, or crying. What a wonderful truth. No matter what you are going through, it's not the last word. God has written the final chapter, and it is about true fulfillment and eternal joy for those who love Him. We do not know as much as we would like, but it is enough to know that eternity with God will be more wonderful than we could ever imagine. God the Creator. God is the Creator. The Bible begins with the majestic story of his creation of the universe, and it concludes with his creation of a new heaven and a new earth. This is a tremendous hope and encouragement for the believer. When we are with God, with our sins forgiven and our future secure, we will be like Christ. We will be made perfect like him. Just as God finished a work of creation, so in Genesis, the beginning of Genesis, and Jesus finished the work of redemption, so that can be found in John 19.30, so the Trinity will finish the entire plan of salvation by inviting the redeemed into a new creation. Now we will finish with Revelation 22. So first I'm going to read verses 22, 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great city, the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit for every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamb or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. So let's talk about the commentaries for these verses. The water of life is a symbol of eternal life. Jesus used this same image with the Samaritan woman in John 4, 7 through 14. It pictures the fullness of life with God and the eternal blessings that come when we believe in him and allow him to satisfy our spiritual thirst. The, this tree of life is like the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. After Adam and Eve sinned, they were forbidden to eat from the tree of life because they could not have eternal life as long as they were under sin's control. But because of the forgiveness of sin through the blood of Jesus, there will be no evil or sin in the city. We will be able to eat freely from the tree of life when sin control or when sin's control over us is destroyed and our eternity with God is secure. Why would the nations need to be healed if all evil is gone? So that's regarding where it says, um, 
are, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. So 22-2. So why would the nations need to be healed, right? Why would the nations need the leaves of the tree to heal? So John is quoting from Ezekiel 47-12, where water flowing from the temple produces trees with healing leaves. He is not implying that there will be illness in the new earth. He is emphasizing that the water of life produces health and strength wherever it goes. No longer will there be any curse. Means that nothing accursed will be in God's presence. This fulfills Zechariah's prophecy. Now let's finish with 22... 12 through 20. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if everyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So let's take a second to remember that the book of Revelation came from John, who is the one who heard and saw these things that he stated in this book. He heard it from the angel who was sent to show John these visions. So it is so important that we hold on to this and that we remember what Jesus said which is, behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. Whew. Okay, let's read the commentaries for these verses. Those who wash their robes are those who seek to purify themselves from a sinful way of life. They strive daily to remain faithful and ready for Christ's return. This concept is also explained more and on chapter 7. In Eden, Adam and Eve were barred from any access to the tree of life because of their sin. 
and the new earth, God's people will eat from the tree of life because their sins have been removed by Christ's death and resurrection. Those who eat the fruit of this tree will live forever. If Jesus has forgiven your sins, you will have the right to eat from this tree. The exact location of these sinners is not known, nor is it relevant. They are outside. They were judged and condemned in 21.7.8. The emphasis is that nothing evil and no sinner will be in God's presence to corrupt or harm any of the faithful. Jesus is both David's root and offspring. As the creator of all, Jesus existed long before David. As a human, however, he was one of David's direct descendants. As the Messiah, he is the bright morning star, the light of salvation to all. When Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, he told her of the living water that he could supply. So you can read about that in John 4, 10 through 15. This image is used again as Christ invites anyone to come and drink of the water of life. That gospel is unlimited in scope. All people everywhere may come. Salvation cannot be earned, but God gives it freely we live in a world desperately thirsty for living water, and many are dying of thirst. But it's still not too late. Let us invite everyone to come and drink. This warning is given to those who might purposely distort the message of the book. So where it talks about, um, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him plagues described in this book. Moses gave a similar warning in Deuteronomy 4, 1 through 4. We too must handle the Bible with care and great respect so that we do not distort its message, even unintentionally. We should be quick to put its principles into practice in our lives. No human explanation or interpretation of God's word should be elevated to the same authority as the text itself. And then going into 2220, we don't know the day or the hour, but Jesus is coming soon and unexpectedly. This is good news to those who trust him, but a terrible message for those who have rejected him and stand under judgment. Soon means at any moment, and we must be ready for him, always prepared for his return. Would Jesus' sudden appearance catch you off guard? Revelation closes human history as Genesis opened it in paradise, but there is one distinct difference in Revelation. Evil is gone forever. Genesis describes Adam and Eve walking and talking with God. Revelation describes people worshiping God face to face. Genesis describes a garden with all evil with an evil serpent. Revelation describes a perfect city with no evil. The garden of Eden was destroyed by sin, but paradise is recreated in the new Jerusalem. The book of Revelation ends with an urgent request come, Lord Jesus. In a world of problems, persecution, evil, and immorality, Christ calls us to endure in our faith. Our efforts to better our world are important, 
but their results cannot compare with the transformation that Jesus will bring about when he returns. He alone controls human history, forgives sins, and will recreate the earth and bring lasting peace. Revelation is, above all, a book of hope. It shows that no matter what happens on earth, God is in control. It promises that evil will not last forever, and it depicts the wonderful reward that is waiting for all those who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And just like that, we have finished the entire New Testament. I don't know about you guys, but for me, it felt like it went by super fast. I hope that every episode has encouraged your faith walk with Jesus Christ and has pushed you to draw closer to Him. Remember that it It is so, so, so important that in order to continue to walk with Jesus and remain faithful to Him, we do everything in our power to draw us closer to Him and strengthen our relationship with Jesus. And I have found that what helps me is the Bible. It's God's Word. It is so good for us. And to pray, find time to pray, find time to be alone with God. I get it. I know that our schedules can be super busy at times. I am guilty of that. I have three kids who are very active in sports and I do all the carpooling to school and from school into all their sports and then My husband and I are constantly having to divide and conquer on the weekends to make sure that each kid gets to where they need to be. It is a busy season for me. And I have been guilty of allowing my busy schedule to deter me away from God. But when I do that, I realize how weak my faith becomes and how easy I am to allow the world to navigate me away from the truth. And I don't like who I become when I'm not with God. Therefore, I do everything I can to at least get five to ten minutes of a long time with Him. Sometimes that means that it is in the car. And that's okay. I have stopped feeling guilty about that because I have realized that any time that I make for God is good for me. There are times where I don't get to sit down and read the Bible itself, but guess what? That's when I open my Bible app and I listen to it. And sometimes I listen to it in the mornings when I'm getting ready, or I listen to it while I'm in the shower, or I'm listening to it in my car ride. But the point is, is that I'm listening to it. I'm making time. I'm showing God that He is still important because He matters, joy friends. He matters. So it is up to us to make sure that we show Him that He matters and that we show Him that our faith is important. And I am not saying that 
or this to make anyone feel guilty or to scold anyone because remember my episodes are not made for that my episodes are made to inspire you to walk with him and so I want to share the things that have helped me also share the struggles that I have faced because it is not easy being a Christian in an unchristian world it's not and it's not easy being a Christian all the time when you were a mom being pulled in a thousand different directions but you know just as we have to plant our flowers or not plant but water our plants and flowers you know in order for them to survive and grow we too have to water our faith in order for it to stand so um that is it for all these episodes in this season remember continue to follow me on my instagram page seek joy sister if you have not already and that is where i will continue to post daily encouragements and also announce my date for my next season thank you all so much for listening to me and hanging out with me i have loved having each and every single one of y'all. May God bless you all. Bye.